find it, sorry. <clears throat> Verses 1 through 13. Don't you hate when your Bible just freezes up on you? Okay. Let's try a different Bible. Sorry. Hebrews 12. Therefore... Since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people, and then you won't become weary and give up. After all, you have not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. And have you forgotten the encouraging words God spoke to you as his children? He said, my child, don't make light of the Lord's discipline, and don't give up when he corrects you. For the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes each one he accepts as his child. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. Whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? If God doesn't discipline you as he does all his, of his children, it means that you are illegitimate, and you are not really his children at all. Since we respected our earthly fathers who disciplined us, shouldn't we submit even more to the discipline of the Father of our spirits and live forever? For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterward, there will be a graceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Mark out the straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. So I entitled my message, Strengthen the Things That Remain. Uh, it's another way to translate that, the end of that passage. Um, and also, uh, there's a song that I love uh, called When You're Gonna Wake Up by Bob Dylan. Maybe you've heard it. It's kind of old-ish. But uh, in the very beginning of his song, he says, God don't make promises that he don't keep. You got some big dreams, baby. But in order to dream, you gotta still be asleep. When you're gonna wake up, when you're going to wake up, and when you're going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain. So it's kind of this, this is sort of a self-regarding, uh, introspective sermon today, so forgive me for that up front. Um, <clears throat> but have you, ever, have you ever had a task to do or some research or send an email or do something where you had to get online, and then you get online to do it, and then like an hour later you realize like, Wait, what was I going to do here? What, why did I even get onto my computer? I was going to do something, and now I can't remember what it was. I'm sure that's not happened to any of you guys. Um, you look at the clock, and it's like, oh, holy cow. And then it snaps back. Oh, yeah, I just had to send one email, or I just had to check a date, or whatever it was. You know, It would have taken like five minutes. So that's kind of what I want to talk about today. And just imagine that happening for like a couple years. <clears throat> So for me, personally, in the last couple of years, and I've shared about this a few times as I've preached, um, the last few times that I've preached, because uh, God's really just sort of working on me and in me during this time. Um, and in fact, I love that song that we just sang, which I'd never heard, but he's always working, right? Even when we don't feel it or think he is, like he's always working. 
That's great. That's good news. So I don't know if you've ever seen someone get woken by smelling salts. You guys ever heard of smelling salts? Maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's like a caustic little bag of stank that you put in front of somebody's face to, and it shocks their body into like waking up because the body's like, you're going to die if you breathe this in anymore. Um, you know, they used to use it to wake up boxers and, and different kind of, kinds of people like that. Um, <clears throat> this last year, or maybe a year and a half for me, is kind of filled with the aroma of smelling salts. I'd been knocked out slowly, and God is rescuing me from that. And it's not that I got knocked out all at once. That's generally not how it happens spiritually. It was more of like the frog in the frying pan. Or my Bible, one of my Bible professors always used to say, uh, it's like going on a voyage, you know, you're on your ship, and then you just get like a little bit off of your, <clears throat> you turn your wheel a little bit. And it doesn't matter when you're, you know, just leaving the shore, <clears throat> excuse me, but it's when you get halfway through your journey or whatever, and you've just gone a little bit off, you're way off. By the time you get to the end, you're just like hell and gone from where you were planning on being with just that, that little bit of a turn. And that, that's kind of how I, how I got to Hebrews 12 on this journey. I, you know, I, I imagine myself as a pastor and a preacher, you know, like Peter standing up and, and 3,000 people getting saved, you know, that day, and then just ignoring the part where he gets locked up and gets crucified upside down, you know. You know I don't like that. I don't want that part, but, you know, the other part, because after all, I'm, I'm an American Christian. And uh, so I began this journey sort of the right way, well, you know, honestly. Uh, I was following God amongst a cloud of witnesses, like Hebrews says, people that around me that were faithful people who I could trust and who would speak the word to me and, and help to verify like how I felt the spirit leading me, which is how I ended up here uh, at what was Harambe Church, now Renton Community Church. And uh, at some point along the way, I just began to argue with God and drag my feet into what he was calling me to. And I was afraid. <clears throat> And in this last couple of years that I'm, that I'm referring to, it's been a time of like carrying weights and getting entangled in sins that easily entangle you. And so I didn't kill anyone, but my heart was a murderer in times of anger. Uh, I didn't cheat on my wife, but I became an adulterer towards God by turning to idols rather than him. And I didn't steal from the church, but I did start to give God my leftovers rather than my first fruits. My best was for me, and I gave him what was left over. Maybe you've heard that story. How did I get to Hebrews 12? Hebrews 12 is the smelling salt that God is using in my own life to bring conviction and the realization of his loving discipline in my life. How do you know if you've been slowed down by weights and entangled? Sometimes you don't know it because you've been carrying them for so long, it just becomes normal. It just feels like this is life. This is how it should be. Sometimes it happens fast in our culture, but mainly in our culture, carrying extra weight and getting entangled in sin is a lifestyle. So I want to ask three questions today in this passage and, and reflect on these things, uh, and I have a couple answers, and then I don't have an answer. So my three points are three questions. Number one, how did, we, how did I, we, get here? And this is the struggle against sin. Point number two is, where is here? How did this water get so hot? And point number three is, where do we go from here? Or rather, how do we go from here? This music stand is driving me nuts. Excuse me. Caleb has his nice music stand in the office. I forgot to grab it. I got the ghetto version. Every time I push on it, it's like going lower. I'm used to preaching on Mike Gunn's old pulpit that was like up here, you know. So now I'm like all out of sorts. <clears throat> Okay, good. 
<laughs> where was I? How did I get here? <laughs> Point number one. Is this guy ever going to talk about Jesus? Uh, so, yeah, I am. I'm going to talk about the scripture too. So when we read this passage in, in Hebrews, uh, there's, there's these two famous chapters, chapter 11 of Hebrews. If you don't know, it's this hall of fame of faith, right? It's the definition of faith, and then it's this list of faith heroes. And just, just go read it, but, but take note that there's two lists in this uh, hall of fame. The hall of fame is like the people that just killed it, right? Like, this guy did this, and he had this many yards, and this many catches, and whatever's, you know? And then, like, in the hall of fame of faith, you would expect, oh, this guy had this many churches, and this did this many miracles, and whatever, right? But in the, in the hall of fame of faith, there's two lists. There's these people that just killed it, that just did awesome things for God. And then there's people that got killed, that there's a guy in there that got sawn in half. Like, not exactly sure who that is, but he's listed, and it says, there's these people who were, the world was not worthy of these people, and they were driven out, and they were killed, and they were sawn in half, and they were oppressed. And so when you think about faith, and when you think about following God, just know, just know that faith does not always look like the American dream, and comfort, and peace, and personal security. Sometimes faith looks like pain, and struggle, and suffering, and God is enough. God is enough for those people. They, they, didn't, they didn't go get sawn in half because they loved that. They were sawn in half for God because of the faith that they had, because they were able to trust him in the face of the body saw that was about to saw them in half, okay? God is enough to get us through. This is what this, this great cloud of witnesses is talking about when, it, when chapter 12 starts. It says, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. You know, when I ask myself, how did I get here to Hebrews chapter 12? It's because I just developed this myopic view of my own immediate life, and I stopped reflecting on where I've come from. I stopped reflecting on who I am. I stopped thinking about the cloud of witnesses that surround me in the faith. I stopped thinking back about, about who they are. And, and it's so easy to do in our culture because it's all about me, and the individualism just pervades everything that I think and do, and it it poisons the gospel and it poisons my relationship with Christ because it's my personal relationship with Christ, right? And I end up just like having this introspective view of everything that's going on and not thinking back about my family, about this cloud of witnesses that surrounds me that I'm actually related to in the faith who went through all of these struggles. And I was encouraged the other week when Mike was preaching and, and he, he said, you know, I love to think about the story of the Red Sea. You know, this ancient story of the Israelites, after all this miraculous stuff, getting delivered from Egypt, and then they get to an ocean, and they're like, oh, now we're dead. <laughs> God, you're, you're an idiot. You let us out here to kill us at the ocean. There's nothing you can do now, right? And then the Bible says that God had roads that they didn't know about. They had no concept that they were going to walk through an ocean on dry land. And that's the God that we serve. That's what reflecting on that cloud of witnesses gets us. But I had sort of drifted from that and turned that off in my head. And I remember uh, at different times asking God, I remember praying, walking here when we used to live in Renton and, and praying and, and asking God to help me with things and saying, Jesus, would you help me with this situation? And then it would come to my mind that it's something that I like studied and I knew all about. And then I was thinking to myself like, what is my problem? Is it really knowledge or is it cowardice that I'm not addressing the situation? Like, why am I praying about this? And it was, I, I feel like God was maybe saying too, like, why, why are you praying about like, I, I already equipped you to do this. I've already put you through this. And this is like my perennial failure. Like, the fact that it's like if I just know it, that's good enough, right? If I've just studied it, if I just have the knowledge of whatever it is, whatever discipleship thing or scripture or thing it's truth of the faith it's good enough just to know that it's true right rather than actually try it out and live it out and put it into practice and see if god is is really true that's that's where i fall down in, in a sense i'm a paper tiger <laughs> if you've heard that terminology you know those are the guys that learn kung fu from books and then they go out and try it out it's hard to really learn that stuff in a book 
It's hard to really just take the knowledge, take classes, to get trainings, get all this information in your head without going out and trying it out, without giving it a shot. So these, these, these Hebrew people, in much the same, the Hebrew people, the people that were the recipients of this letter to the Hebrews, in much the same way, had had some different struggles as well. And, the, and this chapter 12 is addressing them after encouraging them in the faith. It's also addressing some of the issues that they're facing. One of the issues they face that's addressed earlier in the, in the book, in chapter 5, verses 11 through 14, the scripture says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers and you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God, you need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. It's interesting the definition of the mature, those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice distinguish good from evil, right? It's almost like you could be like a really smart baby and have it all up here, but you have not been trained by constant practice to get off the bottle and, and move on to the barbecue. This is where I find myself so much of the time. I, I get frustrated with myself or with others because I think, well, you already know this, right? Like I've heard you say these things. I know that you have them in your head. And I just assume, even though I don't always do the stuff that I know, that, of course, other people would just do what they know. And that's sort of a problem in our whole society, right? Education makes you morally a better person. So everybody needs to go to college because they're just going to get better. Like, if you just know, you're going to do it. And it's like, why do nurses have smoke breaks in a hospital then? Like, when I go walk through the hospital and there's like five nurses standing outside smoking cigarettes, I'm like, have you heard? I mean, (laughs) Do you know that's bad for you? Yes, they know. They know better than me. That doesn't help us. Just knowing something is a start. It's part of it, right? Another challenge that the, the, these, these folks were facing was straight-up persecution for following Jesus, the brutal consequences on their lives at that time. In Hebrews chapter 10, the scripture says, Recall the former days when you were enlightened, when you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that yourselves, you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. These these saints like face stuff that I could only imagine and that I'm afraid of because they follow Jesus in, in their culture. It's almost like their culture was, was saying to them, when you look at the context of Hebrews, it's like, it's great for you to be religious. Just kind of tone it down and do it like this. Put it in this little box and we'll be straight. But if you keep talking about this stuff, if it keeps kind of encroaching on reality, we're going to get you. We're going to kill you, beat you up, throw you in prison, take your stuff, whatever it is for following Jesus, right? These guys, it's a, I mean, think about this for a second, like the plundering of your property. I think, to, I think about how much my property is attached to my heart in, in this life, honestly. Like, would I like give up my house because I had to decide between following Jesus and having property? Like, and, and I even think about, I'm just talking about myself, okay? I, I even think about the way that I'm thinking about the future, right? Because the American dream is you like, you work hard, you get a house, you get property, you save up, and then you, you, you have this house that's sort of like an investment that you've made over all these years, and then you can use that like toward retirement or whatever, you know, for yourself, and then hopefully get, you know, retire as early as you can so you can do whatever, you know, and just live some sort of, what, profligate life? I, I mean, I don't know like what retirement is, is supposed to be about in the American dream. But like, I, I think to myself, like, that's a, that's a warped way of looking at my own future. Like, I don't even want that for myself then. Or, like, why would I even be like walking toward that? Why would I be working toward that rather than thinking like, how could I make, take advantage of my property, right? <laughs> a, 
of the assets that I have to like create a space for God's people to flourish, like create like an opportunity for, for me to teach or for me to, to, to have a place for other people to live with me or something like that. Like I don't have any answers right now, right? But I, I, I'm, God's like really hammering on me and helping me to, to try to like open up my eyes to some of the, the trajectories that I was just sort of drifting down in our culture just because I'm from here, right? <clears throat> and God loves me too much. God's grace is, is sufficient to rescue me from these weights and these sins that, that would entangle me. The New Living Translation, uh, or chapter 12, verse 4 says, After all, you've not yet given your lives in your struggle against sin. That's a, quite a struggle against sin, right? Like, we might give, well, I'll not include you. I might give, like, 10 minutes <laughs> in my struggle against sin or, like, an hour or a day. My life? Thank God somebody gave their life for me in the struggle against sin. So how did I get here? How did I get to where I'm at today? It was slowly, and it was step by step. When, I, when, I, when Angie and I were in Ecuador, I spent so much time in prayer. I felt so close to God during that time. And uh, I think back on that time, you know, and I think about, like, where, where did I, how did I drift from that? I mean, I knew, I knew the importance of the life of prayer for somebody who wants to teach the word or be in ministry, quote unquote, and I, I drifted away from it. But then when I look back, like, part of the reason that I spent so much time in prayer in Ecuador is because I had time. It's so, so crazy. I just had way more time in that culture than I have here. The, the pace of life is different. My responsibilities were different. My hands were tied sometimes. I had nothing else to do, and I would pray. I would just sit with God and just cry out to him and say, like, help me be the, what, like, what am I doing here? Like, help me do what you want me to do. Help me to be obedient. And I would spend hours in prayer with God. <clears throat> and interestingly enough, it was crystal clear when I was getting ready to leave Ecuador, and I was asking God, like, what, like, what do I need to work on when, I, you know, when I'm going back? And it like, as clear as you hear my voice, it was like I heard God say, work on time management. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. <clears throat> What's the most valuable thing we have in our society? Time, right? Like, a millionaire would give all of their money for, like, another hour of life. Time is the most valuable thing we have. And I started to give my leftover time to God. I started each day sort of going through this like routine of not starting in the word, not starting in prayer, but going to the news, reading. I just love reading about the news. I love reading what's going on in the world. I, and I started reading this news site and that news site. And I want to get like point, counterpoint. And I want to get like foreign perspective and I want to read like a tech blog and I want to read like this other thing and I want to I want to look at this social media site and and it's like crazy how that just became like my devotion right my devotions sort of became this cyber idolatry in the morning rather than focusing on God and all the while I'm telling myself like well I'm professionally spiritual right I'm going to work, and I'm going to pray, and I'm going to study the word. Holy cow. <clears throat> and I drifted. I got entangled. I started carrying these weights that I shouldn't carry. I started repeating the repulsive religious practices of the ancient Israelites, who when it came time to make sacrifices and, and offer their offerings to God, would get like the rotten fruit and the sick animals, the stuff that they didn't want anyways and bring it and give it to God and say, here you go. That's what I was doing with my time. <clears throat> but God loved me so much that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. 
I got to this place of having this small view of the world and looking at my immediate settings and saying, woe is me, and I forgot about the great cloud of witnesses. I was bogged down. I was thinking of, uh, when, I, when I think of like what this looked like, I think of Peter walking on the water. Like, it's stormy. He sees Jesus, and he says, if it's you, tell me to come out to you, right? And then he like steps out of the boat onto the water. Like, how crazy is that? And he starts walking on the water over to Jesus, who's, of course, just walking on water, right? And uh, then when he takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he sees the waves, and he sees what's around him, he just starts to sink, like, immediately. <clears throat> and he calls out, Jesus, you know, help me. That, that's kind of, like, the picture in, in slow motion of what, how I was walking. It was like, I'm following Jesus, I'm looking at him, and I just started to look at all the other stuff. I took my eyes off of Jesus, and I started to sink. And if you know that story, Jesus didn't say, that's what you deserve, Peter. You know, like, (laughs) when Peter started to sink in the water, Jesus was right there. And he's like, come on. He grabs Peter, probably just lifted him, you know, like the whole Peter, and just put him in the boat, and then just got in, like the little baby that Peter was. So how how do we run this race? Like, by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Hebrews says, keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. So point number two, how did I get here? I I drifted into God's discipline and ended up at Hebrews chapter 12. Point number two is, where is here? (laughs) What? And uh, the sub point is, why is this water so hot? Because it's not like I just jumped in the boiling water, right? I just didn't jump into the hellfire and be like, yeah. That's not how the enemy does it, right? It's like slow burn. Like, let's saute this sucker. <clears throat> so I, I just have to say this stuff, and it just, it, it can't, it, it's just been bothering me, and I just want to say it to you, okay? Social media is designed to entangle you. It's designed that way. So be careful when you tread there. So let me just put it in the words of Sean Parker, if you know who that is. He's one of the founding developers in Facebook, right? He says, so this is an interview with him. He explained that when Facebook was being developed, The objective was how do we consume as much of your time and consciousness, conscious attention as possible? It was this mindset that led to the creation of features such as the like button that would give users a little dopamine hit to encourage them to upload more content. It's a social validation feedback loop, exactly the kind of thing that a hacker like myself would come up with because you're exploiting a vulnerability in the human psychology. It literally changes your relationship with society, with each other, And it probably interferes with productivity in weird ways. And God only knows what it's doing to our children's brains. This is the guy that made this. This is is their intention. It's diabolically designed to get you addicted and to entangle you, to distract you, to get your eyes off of God. Yeah, and I know there's Christian stuff on Facebook or whatever platform that you use, but whatever. How warm is the water around you? I've honestly been through a ton of change in the last two years, and I'm convinced that it's God's grace to discipline my sinful habits and rescue me because he loves me. In fact, discipline is love. Discipline is an expression of love as a parent and as the perfect parent, God himself. When he disciplines us, it's because he doesn't want us to keep going that way. It's because he wants us to grow or to be corrected in some way. When I, when I would discipline my children, it's because I don't want them to go in that way. Don't put your finger in the light socket, right? That's a simple one. I can't cover every light socket in the world with a safe light socket protector. I had to teach him what no meant. 
the only way. Don't run out in front of cars. Don't run out into a, a busy roadway. You have to listen to me sometimes. They had to learn that all the while. I'm, you know, I'm such an expert with my kids, and then I'm just like, whatever, God. You know, I'll listen to you when I want. Like, I am a child to God. I am a toddler compared to God. Like, I should listen to him. And I'll just like, at the risk of offending you, so are you. God's smarter than you. God has a better plan than you have. God has a better way than the way that you think is right. As I've followed God, the plans that I've laid in following God never really worked out the way that I foresaw they were going to work out, but they worked out in a totally weird, different way that was better. That's what God does. He takes you to the edge of an ocean, and you think, I'm dead, and then he works out this weird way that you never could have thought of, and you walk across the ocean. That then conquers the enemy that's chasing you. Wow. So for me, this is Hebrews 12. God's plan from the foundation of the world was the church. Jesus looks to the church as his bride, as the one whom he laid down his life for. The spirit of God fills and empowers the church, bringing unity and fruit. And God loves you, the church, too much to let you have a pastor who's faking it and who's professionally spiritual and who's like a whitewashed tomb. Oh, yeah, I'm doing great. Everything's fine. Like, oh, I'm all spiritual. God just said, no, I'm not, I'm not going to let you keep going down that road. You're just going to become like a Pharisee, like, and then just go off the deep end. God pulled me out of this diminishing orbit, and he's disciplining me, and it hurts. And I know more than ever that he loves me. So where is here, <laughs> like, where is here for me? For me, and I shared this with our elders, like, this is no whatever secret, like, I'm being crushed in many ways. I'm being stretched. I'm being challenged to give God my first fruits and not my leftovers. God, God is trying to rescue me from that gross lifestyle of thinking that all my agenda is so much more important than spending time with him. Study the history of people that followed God and listened to God, and it's so funny the way that Christian historians write about people like uh, Martin Luther, like, uh, what's that cat's name? Wesley, John Wesley. He started the Methodist, right? Wesley, that's the guy. Uh, I remember reading about Wesley, you know, and, there, and the, I was reading this story, because Wesley was like a Christian, right? And he's like, I'm a Christian, I'm a missionary, I'm going to go over to the, the U.S. of A. And, and save the Native, you know, Americans and, and help them learn how to be English and then, you know, teach them about Jesus. And uh, so he came over here, by his own admission, not a Christian, to try to Christianize the Indians. He didn't even know what salvation was until he went back to England and got saved and became a true follower of Jesus. You can read his story. But people write about like, how effective this guy became in following Christ. And then there's like side notes in these people's lives. You know, like, oh, yeah, by the way, Wesley would you know, sometimes like, stay up all night praying. You know, it's kind of weird. And people just thought, that's odd, you know, like, what? It's just, you know, he was, why was he so effective? I don't know, maybe because he stayed up all night praying quite a bit of the time, right? Martin Luther famously tells his students, like, oh, man, I've got so much to do today. I got to pray for, like, three more hours. Like, that, that just, like, would, like, kill my brain in my former state of mind. Like, no, I have so much to do today. I can't pray even for one hour or three minutes. I've got to do all this stuff. I've got to carry all this weight. I've got to make all this stuff happen. I've got to just turn my back on God. Like, could you actually, like, get more done by praying longer in a day? I think you could. I think you could. And I think it's happened in my own, in my own existence, in my own life. I ha I've had evidence of it before I started to drift from it, and I have evidence of it again. It's so true. These guys that were super effective, take Jesus, for instance. This cat often went away by himself and prayed all night. And the disciples are like, all right, man, we're going to bed. You know, like, do what you got to do, <laughs> right? And then when he says, come pray with me, they're like falling asleep, like, you know, and he's getting ticked at them. Come on, you can't, you just can't even stay up and pray with me when I'm about to get killed. I'm telling you guys, I'm about to get killed. We're going to die with you. No, you're not. And uh, 
I just, I just, I know it. I knew it, right? I knew it. And I would tell people, you know, Martin Luther used to play three hours when he was busy, you know, and all the while I'm not. I'm an idiot. So God's rescuing me. God's, God's saving me from my own idiocy. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 5 through 7 says, Have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord's discipline is the ones he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure, and God is treating you as sons. You know, when I, when I started, when God started to help me see, like, I'm not going to let you keep going that way. Like, you're just going to spin your wheels until you come back. It was like, oh, this is why I think everything's so frustrating. Like, this is why I'm sad. This is why I'm struggling. No, I'm gonna, I gotta erase that word from the Christian vocabulary if at all possible. This is why I'm just like getting, feeling crushed because God's disciplining me and it's painful. And it's, it's, for me, it's like a, it's like a time of grief in a way. Because of the transitions that I've been through, this, this all that's happening in my life. And yet, when God clued me into this, it's like, thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you that you're crushing me. Thank you that I'm grieving these things. Thank you that you're transforming me inside and not letting me continue to go down this road. For the moment, verse 11 says, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. God's training me. God's helping me change the way that I live, not just what I know, so that there will be peaceful fruit of righteousness in my life. That's awesome. I'm excited for that. <laughs> I'm excited for that to happen. And so I, I want to say this, like, it's sort of our rote tradition or our rote religiosity that we come and, and on a Sunday when we gather with the church and be like, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing well. How about you? Oh, good. Everything's cool. Like, great. Awesome. Are you happy? Yeah, I'm happy. Like, you don't want, like, Debbie Downer to be here, right? You don't want someone to be like, how are you doing? Like, oh, let me tell you. Like, wah, wah. you're just like, I'm going to go grab some coffee, right? But, I mean, why do we believe in the gospel? Because we're perfect? Like, who, like, people that need Jesus are people that are not perfect. People that need the gospel are people that don't have everything figured out. People that are saved by grace through faith are not people that are making themselves right with God. So, just don't BS people about how you're doing. I mean, you don't have to unload your whole life on them, like, while you guys are having donuts. <laughs> but, don't pretend like everything's fine all the time. That's sort of just like a gross religion, you know? Like that's and this is what like people from the outside look at the church in our in our day and age and they're like they're just like happy hypocrites that hate gay people, right? Like cuz they think like we think that we actually live up to this false standard. The standard for us is Jesus. That's the standard. If you want to live up to God's righteousness, be perfect. That's God's standard. Go ahead. Be perfect like God is perfect, okay? You can't do that. The only thing you can do is throw yourself on Jesus and say, save me, Lord. Like, I can't be perfect. I'm not perfect. I need to be transformed and grow. I need help. And in fact, Jesus himself gave us this group of people, this cloud of witnesses to help us with that reality. So when you, when you come into church, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to get yourself right. You don't have to pretend like everything's fine. Let people know what's going on. Let people know where you need prayer, where you need help, where you need to grow. And it just it might be like, I need help getting my car started, <laughs> right? I need help with some practical, real thing. This is why the Spirit unites us as a body, as a family, to be able to care for one another. And let me say this, like about my, my journey right now. I don't expect a microwave miracle, a quick fix on my heart. Sometimes when you walk down a road, it takes you a little while to turn around and head back out of that road. 
I know that God can instantly deliver and transform me. Like, I have no doubt. God could just, like, whatever, turn me into whoever he needs me to be. But it just, that just doesn't seem to be his way, his timing. He seems to work in people's lives through their stories and through their interactions and, and as they grow and, and interact with people. <clears throat> and so I, I trust that God initiated this process in me. The author and perfecter of my faith is working this in me, and it's going to take a while. So how often have you considered that God can discipline you? I don't, I don't really make any excuses for saying that this is a painful time for me, but it proves God's love. This is why he brought me here to Hebrews 12. So where is here for you? What is God at work to change in your life? What have you been ignoring? God's will is to transform his people into the likeness of Christ. That's his ultimate purpose for you. No matter what job or car or relationship you have, he wants you to reflect Christ to the world. He wants you to look like a little Jesus. He has called us his beloved children, and that is what we are. But he loves us too much not to discipline our lives. So where do we go from here? Or rather, how do we go from here? We have to understand who we are. Am I putting my trust in Jesus? Have I, have I received the salvation promised in his name because I'm trusting him? We talked about this in our class a couple weeks ago. Some of you guys were there. Salvation is not an emotional reality. It's not an emotional experience. It's not validated by emotion. Let me say it that way. The salvation of God is his grace poured out into your life. And it might be accompanied by emotion sometimes. It might not. I remember we were talking about the reality of the gospel. And, it, and I remember as a little child, the gospel to me was, uh, say a prayer and you won't go to hell. Like, Jesus will rescue you from hell. And I prayed the prayer as a youngster. And... Uh, then I begin to reflect and think, like, did it work? You know, like, was I supposed to feel like a zap or like a transform? Like, something's supposed to happen here, you know? So I prayed it again, like, a couple times, like, thinking to myself all the while, like, did it work? You know, and then I, it, it would kind of come back, like, well, it says it's, it works, you know? Like, it's God's promise to me. It's not based on us. The gospel, the good news of Jesus is that he's saving people. That if you're listening to me today, God is inviting you to trust him, to put your faith in Jesus' righteousness, and you receive it as your own. Like Jesus says, here, I'll, I'll swap you. Your messed up life, John, your laziness, your whatever it is, you know, you guys fill in the blanks, you can fill in the blanks. I'm going to take all that from you, John, and I'm going to give you my perfect obedience, and I'm going I'm to hide your life in Christ. And that's all by faith. That's just, I'm just trusting him in that. I trust that Jesus' righteousness is mine because of what he did on the cross. That's it. His blood covers my sin and washes them away. So I know by faith that I'm righteous as I stand here today, as I preach, because of what Jesus has done, not because of my own effort, not because of what I've accomplished, and not even because God has me up here preaching the word. That makes it even worse sometimes. We have to understand who we are. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. The scripture can build our faith. We can reflect on those who live lives of faith and draw encouragement from this great cloud of witnesses. Spend time. Go back and read Hebrews chapter 11. Like, do I have faith? Like, go read that. Be encouraged. Be strengthened in that. And we know most importantly as we read about these heroes, both those who were Victorious and those who were not victorious in our, you know, world, they, they all point to Jesus. They all typify and point to the one who was coming, to the one who was going to come and be destroyed on our behalf, the one who was going to come 
and win the greatest victory of all time by losing and being murdered in the eyes of the world. Jesus transformed the world, and he's still doing it through us. It's amazing, this great cloud of witnesses we have. We can be encouraged by Paul's stories and acts. We can sit at the feet of Jesus and listen to the parables in the Gospels. All of this helps us strip off every weight that slows us down, and especially the sin that so easily trips us up and lets us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, gave his life, not so that we could have an emotional experience or an intellectual assent to some truth, but so that we could be made right with God by grace through faith. And we become his masterpiece together. The scripture says, and you've become God's masterpiece. But it means to say, y'all have become God's masterpiece. It's not just your personal relationship with Jesus that is God's masterpiece. It's the fact that he can take you, the messed up, selfish person that you are, and make you cooperate with other messed up, selfish people that are broken, and look around. I mean, look at us. We're, we are the bad news bears, right? And God, it, by his spirit, is able to unite us by his power to accomplish his plans and purposes for the, for the place that he has us. That's an amazing miracle that God is doing in the lives of ordinary, messed up people. And we get all of that by faith. We get invited into the family of God through, by faith. So lastly, how do we go? How do we go? It says, the scripture says, patient endurance under discipline. Together. It's always, it's, he's never, the scripture is always you plural. It's never like you individual most of the time. It's almost always, let me say it that way. It's almost always you plural. It's almost always talking to the church, to the people of God together. Hebrews says in chapter 12, verses 12 and 13, so take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees Mark out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fall but become strong. Make a plan to get disentangled. <laughs> Throw off the weights and look to Jesus again. It's not, it's not saying to you, hey, go do more religious stuff. It's saying, where are, you, where are you looking at? Where's your focus in life? Is it on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, or has it been, have you been distracted? This is such good news for us. We look to Jesus, and by faith alone, we're justified. By faith alone, we are sanctified. We grow up in him. This is the good news that we get power for new life by the Spirit and by faith in Christ. Jesus is all, in all, and it's his great power which works within us. So when when the scripture says, strengthen the things that remain, like, well, if it's all Jesus, what a, why don't I just sit back, right? The scripture says in Colossians verse, uh, chapter 1, 29, <clears throat> Paul's talking about his struggles for the church, and he says, that's why I work and struggle so hard, depending on Christ's mighty power that works within me. It's, it's Paul working so hard by faith because he knows that God is gonna work through him. So when the scripture says, strengthen the things that remain, Like, God's going to give you the strength that you need. God's going to give you the ability to lift up your eyes. In fact, this morning, he's inviting you to lift your eyes up to Jesus and refocus on what's really important in life. He has a plan and a purpose for you to become like Christ. But it's hard to do when you're not looking at him. So how do we go forward? How can we become the teachers that we ought to be, like Hebrews says? By striving, mighty, by striving with his mighty power at work within us. We can make a plan, a straight path. We can make a way to care for those who are in need or uh, to strengthen and protect those who are weak, who are in danger of falling down. This is a very community-oriented plan that he's saying. Strengthen the things that remain to protect those who are going to get eaten up, who are going to fall down, who are going to 
fall behind. <clears throat> Bob Dylan ends his song that I began my title with. He says, do you ever wonder just what God requires? You think he's just an errand boy to satisfy your wandering desires. When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? You can't take it with you, and you know it's too worthless to be sold. They tell you time is money, as if your life was worth its weight in gold. When are you going to wake up? When are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? There's a man up on the cross, and he's been crucified for you. Believe in his power, and that's about all you got to do. When are you going to wake up and strengthen the things that remain? So I want to pray right now with you, and I want to encourage you to pray right now. And I, and I want to just ask you to pray, lifting up your eyes to Jesus. I don't mean literally. If you want to do it that way, that's fine. Uh, but I mean, just spend a minute refocusing on Jesus. And if you don't know what that looks like, think about anything that Jesus taught you. Think about what you know about Jesus, what you've heard about him. Reflect on his, his stories, his teachings. Think about people who have reflected Jesus to you. And if, you still, if that still doesn't help, just sit there and ask Jesus for help. Say, Jesus, help me to focus on you. So let's just spend like a short time in prayer focusing on Jesus this morning. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, help us to see you again. Lord, create in us clean hearts. Renew right spirits within us, Lord. Take not your spirit from us, Lord. Help us to see you again through the haze, through the fog of the American dream. Help us to have a vision for the life that you've intended for us to have, Lord, that reflects you to the world. Lord, give us that excitement again that we had at first. Restore to us, Lord, the joy of our salvation. And renew your spirit within us. In Jesus' name.